another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff, and joining me for the 100 and actually, I think this is your 118th time from uh, Seattle. It is my co-host, per usual, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing today? I tell you what, 118 sounds like a really high number. And if you had told me at the beginning, we're going to do this at least 118 times, I think I might have passed. But uh, I've been having so much fun. As, and, uh, as many listeners great. have in the, in the past as well. No, yeah. no, you're all okay with us. We get it. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, it's, uh, it seems daunting now looking back on it. But um, we've been having a really good time. I and mean, we've got awesome listeners and stuff like that. So uh, you know what? I'm ready to roll. We've got listeners that have listened. This is actually show 119. I think there was one show that you were unavailable. Yes, we do have listeners that have listened to all previous episodes, which I think we need to come up with some sort of badge or something, a pin, you know, that they can wear, put on their put on their favorite baseball cap to uh, to show their loyalty. Well, we got we got a we got a lot to go over today. Uh, let's see. We've got we've got our BPs usual. We have got some debuts. We've got some trivia, and I've got some special kind of anniversaries, not debuts, but anniversaries. We're going to kind of sandwich in between, and then today we are going to name. This is very special. We're going to name a patron saint of this podcast, and I am very very excited to introduce everybody to him and get to talk about him. So that's coming up again, a big show. We got a lot of stuff as usual. So Mark, let's just jump right into it. What do you say? All right, I'm ready to roll. All right. So let's, let's get into a little bit of BP here. Now I had not heard of either of these guys. They are both pitchers, Tyler and Taylor Rogers. Have you heard of these two? They are apparently active in the major leagues and they're, I'm clueless, which shows you how active I've been paying attention recently to me they sound like there might be cowboys so i think i'm a little more lost than you (laughs) well uh actually taylor and tyler rogers are both in the big leagues one plays for the twins one plays for the giants they're both six foot five so they are twin giants who play for the twins and the giants I like it. That's just weird. Not so much weird that they're twins and they're in the big leagues and they're kind of tall, but that one plays for the twins and the other plays for the Giants, I thought was kind of the uh, the cherry on that cupcake whipped cream. What's the phrase? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, that really does kind of solidify the strangeness of the entire event. Um, yeah, the twin Giants. Um, I, I saw this was very interesting, and this all came about me fine going down this rabbit hole. It all came about due to a Nolan Ryan baseball card. It was, okay. I, I forget what year, it was probably 90 or 91, upper deck. There's a Nolan Ryan special card that's a drawing. It's a, one of those really cool ones, though, where there's he's on it like five or six times. And one of them is him in Rangers. You know, it's him in all of his different like iterations throughout his career. Yeah. And the one with the Rangers, he is throwing a football. And if you remember, right? I think I brought this up. I'm, I think you remembered it. I, I know some of our listeners did too, that Tom House was the pitching coach for the Rangers at one point in the late 80s, early 90s. And his big thing was for pitchers to warm up throwing a football because the motion was very similar to, to pitcher 
you know, pitching, they're throwing a, a baseball. So I do recall that, Jeff. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool that he was kind of immortalized in this uh, in this card with Nolan Ryan and it's Nolan Ryan throwing the football. So that got me on a little rabbit hole about Tom House. I wanted to find out more about him. Well, Tom House actually played in the big leagues for eight years. He was a pitcher. He was a he started. Let's see. He appeared in 289 games. He started 21. So he was mainly out of the bullpen career 3.79 ERA uh, career mark of 29 and 23 strikeouts 261 to 182 walks. So not great. ERA plus of 103 for his career. So he was pretty much an average pitcher. But yeah, he was he was around for a good deal. He was a left handed throwing pitcher. So, you know, even though he had an ERA that was, uh, you know, kind of high, he stuck around because he was a left handed pitcher. Um, something I did not know, though, is that when Henry Aaron hit his 715th home run into the bullpen at Fulton County Stadium, Tom House was the pitching coach and he was the one who caught that ball in the bullpen. I didn't know that. No. That is cool, actually. And uh, I mean, uh, you might as well get it to a guy who knows uh, what there is to know about pitching because uh, nobody knew how to pitch Hank Aaron. <laughs> Henry Aaron. I'm sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I, I, I feel like I had heard that before, but I had quickly forgot about it. But I thought that was kind of cool that it was actually somebody we know that caught that. Not personally, but we yeah, know who that's pretty neat. All right. Yeah, that Nolan Ryan card is 89 upper deck, right? 89 upper deck, great. It's a good-looking card, too. I know I've got one or two of them around. All right, so this show, now this is kind of tricky here because this show is meant to debut on June 1st. Now, this was a holiday weekend, so I cannot promise you that this show is actually debuting on June 1st. It might be June 2nd. Just because we are recording this on May 31st because of the holiday. So uh, I did my my debuts here, though, counting on June 1st. We'll see how motivated I am late night tonight, uh, whether this will get out on the first or not. But we're going to we're going to stick with the June 1st debut. And I got a couple of them. First, we're going to go back to 1973 and Boston Red Sox fans. You might just plug your ears on this one. It is Bucky Dent's. The, the anniversary of Bucky Dent making his debut in 1973. The now, legendary I'm, Bucky Dent. Yeah, I'm, we're going to not say his nickname. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> uh, so Bucky Dent won two World Series, including one in which he was the MVP. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star, spent 12 years in the big leagues. Most of that was with the Yankees, also on the White Sox for four years, the Rangers and the Royals. He finished with a career OPS plus of 74. He was really not much with the bat. He was, he was a great fielder, but not much with the bat, except for in one uh, playoff game against the Red Sox in Fenway. <laughs> yeah, quite a memorable uh, uh, job with the bat yeah. that time. Yeah. Uh, Also led the league in uh, sacrifice bunts his second year in 1974 with 23. That's a lot. That's when sacrifice bunts were actually used. Yeah. (laughs) So 1978 World Series, Bucky had 10 hits, drove in seven runs and finished the six game series with a 417 batting average. He was named the World Series MVP that year. The first shortstop to ever receive that honor. Bucky currently hosts a podcast. Who doesn't, though, you know? Well, that's true. Even us. Uh, It's called (laughs) Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. 
1979, though, Bucky Dent appeared in the TV movie Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. Um, wasn't didn't it star like um, gosh, um, who was it? The the like main cheerleader was somebody you would never pick out to be someone who would play the main cheerleader. So the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleader movie from 1979, uh, Jane Seymour uh, is oh, here. Burt Convy was also oh, in nice. this game show host to the stars. Uh, right Bucky on. Dent played Kyle Jessup. Nice. Uh, I don't see anybody else here who I recognize name-wise. Uh, but I thought that was kind of funny that he was uh, in a movie like that. He portrayed a wide receiver who was in love with one of the cheerleaders. He also appeared in a September 1983 issue of Playgirl wearing a swimsuit. Oh, my. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't a subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess if, if you if you can pull it off, go for it. Good for you, Bucky. Uh, next right. debut uh, today in 1980, a former guest of the show made his debut. Mr. Vance Law. Ah, very nice. Vance, great guy. Yeah. Now we've talked at length about Vance. Obviously, we had him on the show. He was a great uh, a great guest. Go back and listen to that. He's got some great stories about both his father, Vern Law, as well as uh, his time growing up with Vern being a big name in baseball and then Vance being a major league baseball player as well. I found this interesting, though. Remember, Vance Law played two years in Japan. He played for the Chinichi Dragons. We asked him about this time, and I thought it was really cool because at this point, a lot of players coming over from you know the imports would play for a while and they, they'd get homesick and they'd just up and leave. And Vance yeah. was not having a good time, but he said, I signed a two-year contract. I'm going to stick it out, which I thought was really cool. Well, guess yeah. who one of his teammates was that year? It is a player that we have talked about for the last two or three episodes. He was teammates with Benny DiStefano, the last Benny DiStefano. <laughs> Benny DiStefano, sure, man. I was uh, not digging deep enough. <laughs> That's just kind of weird, though, that we have, I mean, we've harped on Benny for at least the prior two episodes, if not three. And sure. uh, he was a teammate with Vance, uh, with, the, with the Dragon. So I thought that was pretty cool. Also, making his debut uh, today in 1986 was a guy we've talked about a lot because we've pulled him in Wax Packs Heroes quite a bit. Ruben Sierra made his sure. debut with the Rangers at age 20. Wow, he started early. He did, and he could hit, man. His whole career, he could hit. Yeah, he came in sixth in the Rookie of the Year balloting that year. The very next year, his second year in the league, he came in 20th in the MVP voting. So just right from the get-go, he was a good player. 30 home runs that second year. So, wow. yeah. At 20 years in the big leagues, 306 home runs. Career OPS plus of 105. That really kind of took a nosedive his, the, the second half of his career, where he was injured a bit and certainly bounced around to a lot of teams. There yeah. was, uh, let's see, six teams that he spent one year or less with, including Seattle. <laughs> wow yeah that's uh that's jumping around a little bit there yeah he played 10 years at texas five in new york four in oakland and then everywhere else he spent a season or less but uh, ruben sierra we've talked about him plenty uh, through wax packs heroes so el caballo four-time all-star you would have thought he would have won a world series with the yankees because he was that was when everybody went to the yankees at the end of their career to get that ring that's right. he did not that's right <laughs> 
Everybody, it's so true. I got my ring. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Yankees one. So there's a, those are our debuts for June first. Now I've got a couple of anniversaries that happened on this day that I just had to talk about. Again, assuming if if this doesn't actually get out by June first, just pretend like it was June first. Turn the clock back first to 1997, because today in 1997, Billy the Marlin, who is the now Miami Marlins mascot. His head went missing. Wow. So, so in the costume this day in 1997 was retired Navy SEAL Lou Langless. And the reason that he, I don't think he was the usual mascot, but the, the reason he was dressed up as Billy the Marlin this day is because he was parachuting into the stadium. At that point, it was pro player stadium where the, where the Marlins used to play, the Dolphins used to play there. The teal tower was in left field, that scoreboard. There was that disgusting teal color that they always use. Oh, yeah. Well, as he was parachuting down, there was a gust of wind, <laughs> and it uh -oh. knocked his head off. Uh, now, just uh, for our younger listeners, it's not a, his real head didn't come off. No, yeah, just, just, just the, the costume head. head. Don't and, want and, you to freak out. And, and I, I misspoke a little bit here, because this, this accident didn't happen today. This actually was on opening day is when it happened. But today, which we're now we're two months into the season, the head, the severed head, let's just put it that way, showed up at Pro Player Stadium. <laughs> On its own? Two gentlemen, Victor Rowe and Mike Zinniger, not Mike Zanino, Mike Zinniger, brought it to the stadium, turned it into the team. It was a no questions asked kind of situation going on. <laughs> and I used to do those at school all the time, Jeff. I, I, just, I got it. I don't care who did it. Just bring it up here. No questions asked. We'll move on. That's right. Well, the team was so happy. They rewarded the pair with season tickets for returning the head. These two supposedly spotted the five pound head unscathed aside from a scratch on the neck, on a retaining wall the day before while traveling on the Florida Turnpike a few miles from the stadium. So it sat mm. out somewhere for two months and nobody <laughs> saw it or at least did anything with it. But these two gentlemen did the right thing. They turned it in. You get season tickets. I'm sure there were some other things that they threw in there. But uh, congratulations to them for doing the right thing. Now, what I really wanted to talk about was that tomorrow or today, or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, June 2nd is the first annual, so it's not yet, it's just going to be the first Lou Gehrig Day across Major League Baseball. It's called the inaugural. The inaugural, there you go. Okay, so I don't know if everybody across uh, baseball is going to wear number four. I hope not, because that's a, kind of a mess from your and my well, perspective. <laughs> when it, everybody it is, wears the same number. It's a Jackie thing, you know, I, th that's special. Well, and Gehrig didn't wear number four his whole career. It's the only number he wore, but, of course, when he was a rookie, there were no numbers on the back of jerseys yet. So it's going to be Lou Gehrig Day across baseball. You know, I, I'm all for it. I think probably Roberto Clemente Day might needed to have, you know, taken precedence over this. But regardless, it's here. It's Lou Gehrig Day. Today in 1925, Lou Gehrig made his only appearance as a pinch hitter in his 17-year career. And what this wow. did is it began his streak of playing in 2,130 straight games when he came off the bench to hit for rookie infielder Pee Wee Wanniger, which is a great name. Nice. Ironically, Wanniger 
is the player who ended a consecutive game streak of 1,307 consecutive games when he started earlier in the place of Everett Scott, the team's regular shortstop. Wow, who knew that? I didn't until I saw this, and I'm I'm hoping nobody else did because I think that's pretty cool. Everett Scott, amazing, yeah. So he played yeah. in 1,307 games in a row, which is incredible. Then uh, wow. Pee Wee, our boy, shows up, and I don't know what happened to Everett Scott. Maybe we'll need to look into that. Maybe he had a cracked skull as well. And uh, so Wanniger takes over, and then uh, Lou Gehrig pinch hits for Wanniger, and it's another 2,129 consecutive games until he takes a seat. All right, so I thought that was pretty cool, very interesting, and that's going to lead us right into our trivia. So last week, I asked a question, boy, this was, I, I think this is a good question because we got a lot of answers. We got a lot of correct answers, and apparently I did not word the question very well. Uh, apparently it sounded like this had only been done one time, but it had actually been done several times. People gave us a ton of answers, most of which were right, and I, I again, think we've got some really sharp listeners that keep coming up with these answers. So the trivia question uh, last week, we were talking about Willie Mays during BP. And in 1971, Willie Mays homered in the first four games of the 1971 season, setting a record for the most games with a home run to start a season. Who since has tied this feat? And I think that's made it sound like just one person. But actually, there are five people that have since done this. Can you okay. throw out any names that you think maybe might have done this? You know, I, I can't, but I'm thinking you might be able to. <laughs> well, I can because I, I looked up the answer, but yes. So five of them. It had not happened. The first person to do it since 1971 at Willie Mays was in 1998 when Mark McGuire did it. Of course, 1998 was the year that Mark McGuire hit everything out of the park. But uh, he first four games of the season, he hit a home run in each of them. Then you have to go all the way to 2011 when Nelson Cruz did it. I think he was, was he with the Mariners in 2011? I think he was. I think so, yeah. Then, then it becomes commonplace. <laughs> then in 2013, <laughs> Chris with a C Davis did it. I'm assuming he was with, was he with the Orioles at that point or was he still with, uh, with Texas? Good question. 2011, uh, he started the season with Texas. So he okay. hit those four consecutive with Texas. He was traded to Baltimore uh, at some point in the season and then signed that wonderful extension that they're still kicking themselves Man, about. We could do a whole show on that extension. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then after that, 2016, Trevor Story went nuts for the Rockies. This was his rookie year, and get this, he hit six home runs in his first four games as a rookie. Jeez. Let's see wow. if that... I'm going to guess those were home games. Uh, we'll get... The, I would be wrong. They started on the road. They played their first three games in Arizona. He hit four home runs at the Bob at that point. And then they came home and he hit two home runs in his first game in Colorado to total six in his first four games. The next day, he only went one for five. And then the next day, he hit another home run. That is a great way to start out a season. Yeah, that's... Uh, or a career. Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, and then the final one that did this, 
The fifth person was Christian Yelich back in 2019. So what was not commonplace at all until 1971, well, it never happened until 1971, then took a 27-year break until 1998, and then it happens every, like, three years. So next year, somebody will do it. Like the movie It, right? Every 27 years, it comes back? Uh, maybe not. I have not seen those, nor read those books. So I'll have to take your word for it. So I've got a trivia question for everybody to think about uh, for next week, and here it is. There have only been two players that have played for both the Kansas City Athletics as well as the Kansas City Royals. Who would they be? Ooh, yeah, now... That's a good question. There is, if you are a member, I'm not sure if you if it's on StatHead or if it's just part of the free part of Baseball Reference, where you can go and plug this in and get an answer pretty quickly. If that's why you want to do it, that's fine. I'm not, I'm no judgment, but I just ask, you know, maybe put a little thought into this first, you know, see if you can come up with this. So think about that. Let me know if you can name one or either of the only two players that played for both the Kansas City Athletics and the Kansas City Royals. That's a tough one. All right, Mark. So that's going to do it for our BP segment. Let's let the ground crew come out, earn their money, and let's get right into this. Now, I said earlier that I think we're going to name this gentleman the patron saint of this podcast. And that is because in this podcast, we're a baseball history podcast, but we really like to focus on the kind of goofy, strange things that go on in baseball. And I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, the Polish prince of baseball pranks. We're going to talk about Mo Drabowski. Okay, so Mo Drabowski is, a, is an interesting story. What, we're, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of go through his career rather quickly because I want to get to kind of, like I said, kind of our sweet spot and talk about the, the Polish prince of pranks. So let's, gonna, let's go kind of quickly through his actual playing career. Mo's family fled Ozana, Poland in 1938 to escape the Nazi invasion. They ended up in Connecticut, where Mo went to high school and college. He played for Trinity College on a baseball scholarship, which he promptly lost after joining a fraternity and uh, indulged in the partying lifestyle. I hear Trinity, big party school. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That, this is Trinity College in, in Connecticut, not in Dublin, Ireland, by the way, just in case... <laughs> Anybody was confused about what baseball school he went to. There's a definite di difference, yes. They, yes. they don't really do a lot of baseball scholarships in Ireland. No, it's really, it's more about the Book of Kells is uh, the scholarships <laughs> that they give out in the Trinity. A little more important there, yes. <laughs> now, that's a, that is a deep cut, if anybody got that one. Uh, <laughs> I did. All right. <laughs> all right, so uh, Mo impressed on the mound, though, and uh, in between school years, he went and played amateur baseball in Canada, where he was then signed by the Chicago Cubs. He pitched okay there for a couple of seasons. He would actually go back to school during the offseason. In July, though, of 1958, he was working, and when he threw a pitch, he heard a snap in his elbow, which if you are a pitcher or if you are just a person, that is never a good thing. No. He continued to pitch injured, and he struggled. He struggled with the treatment as well for his injury and was eventually sent to the minors before being traded to the Braves and then the Reds, and then the Philadelphia Athletics. Well, with Philadelphia, Mo got his groove back as he was working out of the bullpen. 1966 rolls around, and Mo was selected as a Rule 5 pick by the Orioles. So again, on the move. Mo was on a lot of teams. I'm just going to tell you right now. It was here, though, that Mo had his greatest success. The Orioles entered the 1966 World Series as underdogs against the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
Well, in game one, Dave McNally ran into trouble in the third inning. He walked the bases loaded with one out. Earlier in the game, Frank and Brooks Robinson had given Baltimore a 3-0 lead with back-to-back homers in the first inning. But that lead was now in jeopardy when Drabowski was summoned from the bullpen. Moe struck out Wes Parker and then got Johnny Roseborough on a foul pop to end the inning. After that, Drabowski was unhittable. He caved the next six batters he faced to tie the World Series record for consecutive strikeouts. In the seventh inning, he gave up a walk and a single, but neither came around to score. And then he closed out the game with a perfect eighth and ninth inning, and the Orioles won the game 5-2. to two. In all, Drabowski struck out 11 Dodgers, all swinging. In six and two-thirds innings of relief, he gave up two walks and just one hit, and he got the win. Pretty darn impressive, especially for a World Not Series Not bad. Game. Not bad at all. (laughs) Uh, Mo bounced around the remainder of his career, including another stint in Baltimore where he won another World Series. A couple of highlights, more that he was involved in than highlights for him. Uh, He allowed Stan Musial's 3,000th career hit. One time uh, against the Cincinnati Reds, he plunked four batters in two and a third's inning, which Mm. is uh, pretty impressive. And, Way to go, Mo. Yeah, and in 1962, he allowed the first Dodger home run in Dodger Stadium to Jim Gilliam. And uh, Mo Jarowski was the losing pitcher when Early Wynn collected his 300th career victory. So if you had a career, like, milestone coming up, if Mo was on the mound, you, get, you, you know, you were probably feeling pretty good. So Mo played for 17 years. Uh, he played for a lot of teams, seven different teams, Ended up with a mark of 88 and 105, a 371 ERA, and an ERA plus of 101. As I said, he was a reliever for most of his career. He started out as a starter, and then once he got hurt, he kind of found that coming out of the bullpen was his thing. Two-time World Series winner, um, but uh, Mo Drabowski passed away in 2006. So... That is really a brief summary of his playing career. Now, what I really want to talk about are the pranks that he is an absolute legend for. And maybe we, maybe, maybe you or some of our listeners have, have heard some of these. Let's start with the bullpen phone, because what else are they used for if not messing with people, right? Absolutely. The most famous Mo Drabowski prank Uh, It's somewhat grown into an urban legend. As you know, all good stories tend to kind of evolve. What it definitely happened. The circumstances, though, and timing are a little bit different probably than what actually happened. But it's a great story. With A's pitcher Jumbo Jim Nash on the mound, he was just mowing down the Orioles, of which Mo Drabowski, you know, that was uh, the team that he was on at that point. So Mo picked up the bullpen phone because he was a reliever at this point, and he called over to the Kansas City bullpen. And he did his best imitation of A's manager Alvin Dark. And he told the bullpen coach Bobby Hoffman to get up Lou Krause and get him warming immediately. Get him hot. Well, uh, (laughs) Jim Nash looks uh, over in the bullpen. He's shutting out the Orioles at this point. And then he sees Krause getting up and, and getting hot really quick. And he starts to wonder why Dark doesn't have any confidence in him. And that kind of upset Nash. Well, then Dabrowski placed a second call telling him to sit Krauss down. A few minutes later, he called again, get Krauss up, get him hot. <laughs> again. <laughs> By now, the A's had realized that this was not actually Alvin Dark. It was uh, somebody over in the other bullpen as the entire bullpen was rolling on the ground laughing. 
Nash left this game in the sixth inning with a 6-1 lead, and the bullpen eventually blew the game, giving up nine runs in relief. So this prank had nothing to do with why the A's lost this game, but it's still a good story that uh, they got this bullpen up and getting hot when there was no need to. Awesome. Another time, he uh, returned the favor when he was a member of the Royals. He called the Orioles bullpen and disguised his voice as Earl Weaver, and he barked, get Hall up. Well, Weaver's in the dugout, and he looks down in the bullpen, and he says, what the hell is Hall throwing for? So he calls and has him sit down. An inning later, Mo calls again, orders him to get Hall going. Weaver is now losing his mind. He doesn't know why this guy keeps getting up and, and warming when he has not told him to. And again, the bullpen kind of gave it away because everybody was <laughs> just cracking up down there. And eventually they just stopped picking up the phone. Another thing Mo liked to do with the phone, he would regularly order Chinese food from the bullpen. And uh, it would usually actually get delivered to the stadium. So uh, he'd have Great. a little snack in the bullpen. Usually he would call a, a local Chinese restaurant, but one time in Anaheim, he placed a long distance call to Hong Kong and ordered a meal to go. Delivery charge was, I mean, that's, that's impressive. Probably use DoorDash. <laughs> they, put it, they put it on a boat. Mo was a big fan of snakes. I am Ugh. not, but Mo really I, was. No, me neither. Yeah. Ugh, yuck. Well, Mo loves snakes so much, and being a prankster, he actually cultivated relationships with pet shop owners throughout the league who would let him borrow snakes to play jokes on people. All right, so let's go back to the 1969 World Series. He sent the American League champions a six-foot-long boa constrictor, this is during the World Series, in a box. So it was delivered to the clubhouse. They opened it up, and this six-foot-long boa constrictor was not happy having been in the box. I mean, he just put it in the box and then had somebody walk it in there, but it was not pleased. Needless to say, scared the you-know-what out of most people in the clubhouse. He okay. once put a garter snake in teammate Louis Aparicio's pants. Hey, why would you do that to Louis Aparicio? Uh, I don't know. Well, I, could, I don't think Louis particularly cared for snakes that that would freak me out that too would probably uh aparicio one of the great shortstops of all time by the way more snake jokes during a sports luncheon at baltimore drabowski actually snuck a small python into a bread basket that was sitting at the head of the table well it was placed right in front of brooks robinson who reached in for a roll and then nearly fell off the stage when a snake started to slither out of the basket a favorite target of Lou's was one of his coaches, Charlie Lau. Charlie Lau of the, you know, the batting coach that would remember. Charlie Lau method. Yeah, remember, remember Harold Baines was a, a he was a student of the Charlie Lau batting yes. method, which was essentially once you get the bat through the zone, you let go with with your with your top hand. I think Frank would, Thomas. You would, was yeah, you would let that. Top hand off you. Top hand was really your guide hand, and it was the, the job was to get the bat through. You keep it as long in the strike zone as long as possible. So you would keep it, and the top hand would come off and allow you to keep the bat in the strike zone a little bit longer. So I read the book. I just wasn't able to put it into practice. Well, he was. I, I remember when he was the hitting coach for the White Sox, and obviously yeah. Harold Baines was there, and Frank Thomas. I mean, that swing is if if you don't know what we're talking about, Frank Thomas's swing is exactly what Charlie Lau would preach. Well, Charlie yes. was terrified of snakes. So obviously that meant that he was going to be a 
common target for most jokes. Once, while Charlie was asleep in a golf cart in the bullpen, so this is, I'm guessing, during spring training, Mo found a 20-foot pipe, and he put it on the, uh, kind of on the armrest, or the, uh, maybe the neck rest of this golf cart that Lau was snoozing in. Then on the other end of this pipe, he put a three-foot brown snake, and then he just kind of <laughs> lifted the pipe above his head, so the snake would just kind of start to, to, to go down this pipe. Five minutes later, eventually the snake pops its head out of the pipe, just as Charlie was waking up and notices there's a pipe right next to his head. And hilarity ensued for everybody, but I'm guessing loud. Right. I'm sure that wasn't hilarious. Uh, I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. more of the word uh, petrified. <laughs> yeah. So Mo Drabowski. Okay. So we've, we've done the bullpen phone. We've done snakes. One of the great and timeless baseball pranks is the hot foot. And Mo Drabowski was the king of hot feet. So if you don't know what a hot foot is, it's usually, uh, it's a, used to always be like a book of matches, but now people are, you know, you put a cigarette there with matches all around it and a rubber band and some, some gum and you stick it to the back of somebody's shoe and then you light it from behind and uh, then you run away and then it'll start a little fire on your foot. And usually you'll jump around and look like an idiot and maybe even kick your shoe off. Well, in 1970, we're talking World Series time. The, the, the Orioles beat the Reds to win the World Series. And during the trophy presentation in the O's clubhouse, <laughs> Mo left a trail of lighter fluid from the trainer's room all the way out to the podium where the uh, trophy was going to be presented. And then he just waited. So in strides Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. He enters the clubhouse to present the trophy he goes and stands what I'm just going to imagine is a big X <laughs> where where Mo had finished all the lighter fluid on the on the uh, on the platform. And uh, then Mo snuck up as uh, the commissioner was there and he stuck a pack of matches right under his foot when he lit when he lifted up his heel. Then he ran back to the trainer's room, lit this uh, what was described as a snake of fire that wound through the cloud, the crowded clubhouse to the feet of the commissioner, who was needless to say, startled by using the trail of lighter fluid. Drabowski had uh, long since made his escape and made it difficult for Kuhn to uncover the identity of the culprit. Reporters were not immune to Moe's fascination with fire. Drabowski gave the Suns, which I'm guessing is the Baltimore Sun, uh, Jim Elliott, who was the beat writer, he'd given him so many hot feet over the years that the reporter took to staring at his shoes during post-game interviews. So, <laughs> Trabowski took advantage of this and instead lit his notebook on fire once. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh, that's hilarious. You know, uh, one of his nicknames, uh, I remember, was Mo the Torch. And we know why. <laughs> All right, so some other pranks that Mo would play. Uh, once put a live mouse in player in a player's shoe, teammate shoes. He would place goldfish in the opposing team's water cooler. So this is back in the day where, you know, you weren't drinking a Gatorade or had a cooler with ice in it. and You'd pull out a bottle of water or whatever. This is when they had, you know, those old school like water coolers where you had that big jug of clear jug of water on top. He'd go ahead and put goldfish in there. Uh, he also was known to put sneezing powder in the visiting uh, clubhouse's air conditioning system. Probably ordered that from like the back page of Mad Magazine or something. Right. Along with the x-ray glasses. 
Uh, Mo was once rolled to first base in a wheelchair after claiming to be hit on the foot by a pitch while he was with the Cubs. Teammate Dick Draught obtained the wheelchair, rushed it out, and pushed Drabowski to first, where uh, Draught was then promptly ejected from the game. <laughs> Uh, that would I can't see that flying in today's game at all. If you brought the wheelchair out at all, you're going to get tossed immediately. Yeah, uh, it would amuse me at least. I, yeah, I, I would love it if somebody would do that. That would be great. Also a fan of fireworks, Drabowski threw cherry bombs in Chief Nakahoma's teepee on a road trip to Atlanta. <laughs> Thankfully, that mascot is gone. He lit a cherry bomb and tossed it into a closed bathroom stall that uh, was occupied by Boog Powell who said he could not hear for a good day and a half after that. Uh, he, was also, <laughs> he was also known to crawl G.I. Joe style from one bullpen to the other to throw firecrackers at the opposition. Uh, while in the bullpen, he was known to grill hot dogs over a small fire that he would start and uh, once staged a funeral for a dead bird that they found in the bullpen. <laughs> what, a, what a kind-hearted man. Yeah. Players and reporters were not the only targets, though fans were uh, certainly not immune to Mo. At Milwaukee's County Stadium, Drabowski tied a $10 bill to a string and placed the bill on a ramp near the bullpen. Pretty soon, here comes a fan. He's heading down. He's got uh, drinks. He's carrying what was described in the story as six Cokes in one hand and a bag of popcorn in the other. So he sees this bill and he crouches down in a catcher's position to pick it up. And Mo jerked the string. The guy was startled by this and kind of jumped back and spilled all of the Coke and popcorn all over himself. It's a little mean, but can you imagine if YouTube existed back then? Oh, yeah. That would have been great. Someone would have caught it. <laughs> uh, during a losing streak, Mo borrowed a security guard's shotgun. No word on why a security guard would have a shotgun. Uh, but he set up a voodoo doll in infielder Chuck Harrison's locker and shot it up with said shotgun. Insane. Not sure I would hand a shotgun to a player at any point. He was also very good at imitating voices. As we said before, he imitated Alvin Dark. He imitated Earl Weaver. Uh, while he was with the Athletics, Drabowski during the offseason wanted a raise. So what he did is he called all of the other players that uh, were also looking for raises, and he imitated Charlie Finley. So he would call them up and find out what exactly they were making. So then he had an idea of what he could ask for. Uh, he also did this one off season, and he called up one of his buddies, infielder Wayne Causey, and he said, hey, Wayne, uh, what's up with your contract? And Wayne said, well, Mr. Finley, uh, 13,500 isn't enough. I want 16,000. Then Mo said, you got it, and hung up the phone. <laughs> So here's Wayne, like, oh, I just got a, I just got a good raise. And then he shows up and nothing. He's thinking that was easy. <laughs> uh, let's see. The Kansas City Royals and the Orioles made it to the World Series in 1969. Uh, Drabowski was not on either of those teams. Uh, he had been. So they, they all knew him. So what he did is he hired an airplane to fly over Memorial Stadium with a banner that read, Beware of Mo," Because of all his practical jokes that probably worried some people that he might somehow be in the stadium. And then finally, Roy Firestone. Uh, that's a name mm -hmm. you, I think most of us probably remember him from uh, his uh, ESPN show where he'd interview people. And he I think his thing was he'd get a lot of people to cry on his show. But uh, right. I think he passed away just a year or two ago. But uh, it was his first day on the job and he's in the clubhouse trying to get interviews. And Mo Jabowski sensed fresh meat 
and sent Roy Firestone, you're going to love this, on a search for a left-handed bat. Firestone said, I looked at him kind of funny, and then he gave me this very serious stare, like, we got to find this bat. I'm, I'm looking for it. So I wasn't sure. So I started looking for some left-handed bats. He pointed me to someone who said the left-handed bats were on the other side of the field. So after making my way to the other side of the stadium, I finally was let in on the joke, and he got me pretty good. So that is, that's right out of the Mark playbook there, along with the curveballs. That's definitely something that uh, I would have loved to have seen happen and I would have loved to have participated in. All right. So I thought that once I started, I I knew I had read about some of the jokes that he had played and that he was a fun guy, but I had no idea of how much of this funny stuff that he had done. So I'm going to go ahead and officially claim Mo Drabowski as the patron saint of the Two Strike Noise podcast. And uh, I I tell you what, I I am very proud to be a member. All right, Mark, it is that time of the show where we are gonna head into everybody's favorite segment. It's a segment we call Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a Wax Pack Hero! I am on a, a run here that is almost legendary. I have won the last. Yeah, I've won the last four matches. Uh, I was, I mean, this was a one and done kind of situation. You you are at nineteen wins, so we're only playing to twenty this season. Only we always play to twenty, and you were at nineteen wins. I was at uh, twelve, but since then I have been on a hot streak here. Uh, we've got nothing to lose. We're expected to lose. We're the underdogs now, so we're just out here having fun. And uh, I have now closed the gap. You have 19 wins still. I have 16. So it's getting close. I, I think you're probably getting a little nervous. I, uh, I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of biting my nails. Yes, I admit it. <laughs> All right. So we are going to jump into this. Uh, if you are new here, we are going to open a couple of packs of baseball cards. We are then going to take the baseball reference war of those players from the year of the cards. And in this case, it is a 1988 score is what we're going to be opening today. And we're going to add those up. Whoever's got the highest one is going to win this round. We've got a couple of different ways that you can add to your total. If you are sporting glasses of any sort, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you are sporting a mustache, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. But if it is a really good Raleigh Fingers, Wade Boggs, Tom Selleck-like mustache, you're going to get an extra two tenths of a point of war. If you're wearing sweatbands with your caricature, your jersey number, or a corporate logo for some reason on it, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you are wearing real stirrups with sanitaries that we can see, we're going to give you an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, though, we're going to minus a tenth of a point of war. And finally, if you are a Hall of Famer, we are going to give you a whole extra point of war for that. Everybody got that? <laughs> if if this isn't your first show, I'm sure you probably have those memorized by now. But, uh, Mark, we are, the last couple of shows, uh, I got some newer cards uh, that we've been using. I wanted to go back to some older cards, which might be a mistake because I have not lost since we've done those newer cards. But uh, we're going to go back with these 1988 scores. I'm going to let you choose. I've got two packs here, one in my left, one in my right hand. Which one would you like to claim? I've been going with the right hand and I've been losing. And I know if I switch, I'll lose again. So I got to stick with it and go right. Okay. So I'm going to have you open. Uh, we're going to, well, I'm not going to have you do it because we're not. 
That would be tough. Yeah. Uh, we've got this open. Let me get rid of the great moments in baseball. All right, and uh, let's get started. So this is a good card. We've had him before, but we always like to talk about a big slugger for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's Rob Deer. Rob Deer, you gotta love him. Home run or nothing, baby. Yeah, and I think you're going to like him because he has got real stirrups and uh, he's got a mustache here as well. So regardless of what happens, you're going to get an extra couple of points there. Uh, so remember, God, I remember Rob Deere. The big thing was his number of strikeouts and his low batting average, but he hit all those home runs. I mean, he'd just be a normal player today. Right. He would be, yeah. <laughs> he uh, still has the honor of having the second lowest official batting average while still qualifying for the batting title. In 1991, he ended the career with a 179 average, which is very like Mike Zanino-esque. Uh, Dan Ugla also matched that in 2013. Uh, Rob Deere also spent a year playing for our favorite uh, NPB team, the Hanshin Tigers. So 1988, Rob Deere led the league in strikeouts. Shocker. But he did hit 252 and had an OPS plus of 113. And that equals a war of 2.5 plus the mustache and the stirrups. You're going to start out with a 2.7. Take that. Okay, next. Oh, this could be a good card for you. Not a Hall of Famer. Probably would be if he could have kept his nose clean. Roger Clemens. Oh, sure. He, he definitely, I think I de he definitely would have been. Um, you know, he had some great years and then he came back and had some really amazing years, but we know why now. The Texas con man is listed as one of his nicknames. Oh, wow. <laughs> 24 years in the big leagues, 354 wins. I mean, those are, I've got to scroll over to see his stats because his numbers are so big. A career ERA plus of 143. And there's a lot of black ink here. A lot of ERA titles, a lot of win titles, obviously a lot of strikeout titles. I mean, the guy won the Cy Young Award seven times. He won two World Series, seven ERA titles, 11-time All-Star. Twice he won the pitching Triple Crown. I mean, this guy was obviously just a beast on the mound. Uh, he came up with Boston, also played for the Yankees, Houston, and then Toronto as well. And yeah, I mean, just an incredible, incredible player. But uh, he was on the juice pretty clearly. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, also lied to Congress about it, which yeah. why 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 are you not spending time in, in jail for that? I don't know. It's weird. I think this is the first time we've ever pulled a Roger Clemens in this. I don't remember chatting about him. I think you may be right. Uh, so We're regardless, though, let's look at his war from 1988. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, you're going to get a good good poll here. 7.1 for Roger Clemens. Actually, nothing on this card is going to get you anything. Can't see his stirrups and he did not have a mustache. But uh, plus 7.1, can't really go wrong with that. That brings you up to 9.8 after two cards. Next is a Hall of Famer. Wow, this is a good pack. Oh, nice. And uh, we're, we're going to stay on the same team. We're going to stay on the Boston Red Sox. It is none other. And, and you know exactly how many points for a mustache you're going to get. It's the chicken man, Wade Boggs. Yes, a fine mustache and a fine hitter. Yeah. So, uh, Wade Boggs, uh, obviously a Hall of Famer, 12-time All-Star, member of the 1996 World Series team with the Yankees, uh, also won a couple of gold gloves, five batting titles. 1988 was one of those years. He led the league in plate appearances, runs scored, doubles, walks with 125. That was his career high. 
uh, led the league in batting average on base and OPS, as well as uh, double plays grounded into, but uh, we won't mention that, and uh, was sixth in the MVP voting. So let's see what that equates to. You're just killing it here. 8.3 war for the year. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got real stirrups, and of course, he's got a two-tenths of a point of a mustache. So that is a 9.6. You have just about doubled your score with that card. My goodness. You might be just trying to put this away. Like, no, just put it out of reach. All right, next, we've got a pitcher for the Angels, Greg Minton. No clue who that is. I believe he played for a long time, and I kind of caught him on the end of his career. Yeah, there's this picture of him pitching for the Giants that I remember vividly. He came up in 1975, and he pitched all the way through 1990, 16 years in the big leagues. In 1988, he was 36 years old. He went 4-5 and five for the Angels, appeared in 44 games, and had an ERA plus of 136. Not bad. Wow. That equates to a war of only .5, though. He's got real stirrups, and I hate to tell you, well, I hate to tell you this from my point of view, he's got a incredible mustache. So that'll give you a .3 additional with all of that, and that will give you a .8 from Greg Minton, who now you will definitely remember. Uh, good old Greg Minton, one of my favorites. Yeah, I think we talked about him because he was nicknamed the Moon Man. Yeah, we, we talked about that. him uh, because he uh, at one point hijacked a team bus uh, he was the guy that inspired the uh, the story in Bull Durham, where he at one point on the last game of the season flooded the ballpark so he could get home early. I remember that. That was him, huh? Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. next, we're going to go to a guy you are familiar with. Man, these mu- you're getting a lot of mustache money here. Here he is with the Astros, Danny Darwin. Love Danny Darwin, man. He had a couple of absolutely huge years where he was making the baseball do stuff you shouldn't be able to make a baseball do. Yeah, well, one of those years, he won the ERA title in 1990 with a 2.21 ERA. Not bad. Not yeah. bad. It's weird year. He went 11-4, and four, appeared in 48 games, and started 17, threw three complete games, and had two saves. Led the league in an ERA plus with 169. Wow. 1988, though, not as good. 8-13 and 13 with a 3.84 ERA and an 86 ERA plus. And that equates to a war of 1.6. He's got real stirrups and he's got that great mustache. So that's 1.9. Man, you are killing it here. And brings you up to 22.1. Next, we've got a guy for the Yankees. I remember this guy. This is now I think this is going to be a rule uh, in our next season because he's batting and he's not wearing batting gloves, which I think we're going to we're going to make that a plus. But here is Dan Pasqua. Oh, sure. Dude, I remember Dan Pasqua. He looks a switch hitter, lefty. He looks like a baseball player. Uh, He is a lefty, throws left, bats left. Appeared in 10 years. He played for two teams, seven with the White Sox, only three with the Yankees. I would have thought that would have been more. In 1988 Mm. was actually his first year with, I'm going to say the pale hose. I hate when people say that, but I'm going to say it. I don't know why I hate when people say that, but I just, I, it like triggers me. I don't know why, but I, yet I said it. Uh, OPS plus of 101, hit 20 home runs, hit 227, and that equates to a war of 1.9. He's got some real stirrups on there, so you'll get an even two out of that. Makes the math easier. 24.1. You're just killing it here. All right, next, uh-oh. God, these, how many mustaches can you get that are just beautiful? 
<laughs> just beautiful. It's the all mustache pack, man. Yeah. You know me and facial hair. We get along. <laughs> it is Mr. Steve. Bye, bye, Balboni. <laughs> uh, Steve Balboni has kind of a history with uh, with my friends and I. We uh, we used to call it, say, dude, do a Balboni swing. Close your eyes and swing as hard as you possibly can. And uh, we had some success doing that. 11 years in the big leagues, ended up with 181 home runs, 856 strikeouts. <laughs> uh, 1988, he split time between the Royals and your Seattle Mariners. Ended up with yep. a 97 OPS plus that year. And all of that equates to a war of 0.1. He accrued a minus 0.9 with Kansas City and a positive 1.0 with the Mariners. But he's got real stirrups and he's got a Two tenths of a point of mustache, and another one. Yeah. So uh, what? That's uh, they're gonna do math here. Uh, that's point four you get there from Mr. Balboni, and that'll bring your total up to twenty four point five. Next, you have got uh, not the brother of Barry Larkin. It is for the twins, Gene Larkin. Gene Larkin, the the what we call him, the other Larkin. Switch hitter, Gene Larkin played for seven years, all of which were with the Twins. Uh, so in that time, from 1987 through 93, he's got two World Series rings. Wow. 1988, he was the primary. It looks like he mainly played DH in first base with Kent Herbeck. Hit 267, had an OPS plus of 109, led the league in hit by pitches with 15. And that equates to a war of 1.9. He's got real stirrups on as well, so that'll give you an even two. And bring you up to 26.5. Goodness gracious. All right. Next, uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays, first baseman Willie Upshaw. Wow. Was he towards the end of his career right there? Uh, Willie Upshaw made his debut in 1978, and 1988 was his final year. You are correct. Yeah, I remember him being a pretty good ball player, and but I remember him just for a couple years when I was watching baseball. From 1982 through 1988, he... The, the least number of games he appeared in was 148. In 1988, it was, like I said, it was his final year and his only year of his career that he was not in Toronto. He spent his final year in Cleveland, where he ended up with a 95 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 0.4. He's got a mustache as well, so that will give you a plus 0.5. That'll bring you up to 27 even. Our boy, Willie, played for, after that, he went over to Japan for two years, where he played for the Hawks. Had an okay year his first year, and then it looks like he was either hurt or just packed up and left his second year, since we know that's a thing. Yes, it is a thing. All right. Wow. Another Hall of Famer. Another mustache. <laughs> oh, boy, you're going to score big on this one. Uh, because he's got a mustache, he has got a sweatband with his caricature on it, he's got real stirrups. And he's a Hall of Famer because he is Mr. Padre. Coming in. Right on. Jeez, this might, this might be a Hall of Fame pack. This might be Man, the highest score we're ever going to get out of this thing. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Tony Gwynn, of course, Hall of Famer, 15-time All-Star. Won five gold gloves, eight batting titles, seven silver sluggers. 1988 was the only year he did not make the All-Star game between 1984 and 1999. Don't know why he won the batting title that year with a 313 and an OPS plus of 128. Just not good enough, Tony. Yeah, Tony. Come on, pick it up. 3.4 war. Uh, we do have uh, a lot of additions here. So 4.4 for the Hall of Fame. 
and then he gets an extra 0.3, so that'll be 4.7. Jeez. Wow. So that's up to 31.7. All right, so you're at 31.7. Another guy that's on the fringe of the Hall of Fame, he's got a two-tenths of a point of a mustache for sure. He's got real stirrups, and he's got flip-down sunglasses, and he once dated Elaine Bennis and helped Jerry Seinfeld move. <laughs> it's Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez incident myself, just like Seinfeld. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, again, we're going to save that for a two-strike noise after dark <laughs> episode. <laughs> Keith Hernandez, let's see, in uh, two World Series, uh, 11 gold gloves, also a bit of a drug habit that might have kept him out of the Hall of Fame. In 1988, Was uh, he was still with the Mets. Uh, okay, year 276, an OPS plus still of 120, and that equates to a war of 2.2, uh, plus three-tenths of a point, flip-downs, mustache, and stirrups. So that will be a plus 2.5. And that brings you up to 34.2. Shouldn't maybe one of our new rules be if you appeared in a Seinfeld episode, you get a tenth of a point? I like that idea, sure. Maybe even more, because we're big Seinfeld fans. Maybe it needs to be more, right. <laughs> like half of a, half a point of war. I don't know. Maybe. We'll, we'll bring it up to the committee. We'll workshop it and see what happens. All right, next for the uh, Cardinals, Ken Daly, pitcher. How often did Ken pitch? Uh, well, let's Daly. see. Ken Daly, he actually was uh, pretty used out of the bullpen. About 50 games, oh, wow, in 1989, 71 appearances. 1988 with the uh, 1988 with St. Louis, 2-7, 2.77 ERA, though. That's an ERA plus of 127, and that equals a war of 0.2. There is some real stirrups going on in there, so that'll get you a 0.3. That brings you up to 34.5. Uh, next... Pitcher for the I like this with the uh, with the score near the end of the pack you get kind of the more common players so we'll try to go through these a little bit quicker. Uh, pitcher for the Rangers Ed Correa. Mm, sounds like a Rangers pitcher to me. Let's see Ed Correa uh, only appeared for three years and eighty seven was his final year in the big leagues. Uh, so you're not going to get anything. He does have mustache and he does have real stirrups though. So you're still going to get a point two out of that that'll bring you up to thirty four point seven. Next is a catcher, a left-handed hitting catcher, a left-handed hitting catcher that always had some thick glasses on. Oh, wow. On the back of this card, when I say science teacher glasses, this is what I mean. They are literally <laughs> taking up a third of his face. It is Daryl Porter. Daryl Porter. Is he with uh, the Cardinals right there? No, this is the Rangers. Oh, yeah. that's right. I remember him mostly with the Cardinals. Yeah, I remember. I remember these glasses with the Cardinals as well. Uh, member of the 1982 World Series team with the St. Louis Cardinals. In 88, though, wow, you're running into this a lot. Last year in the big leagues was 87. So no points there except for the tenth of a point for glasses. I'll so, take it. That's yeah. enough. 34.8. Next uh, pitcher for Atlanta, Jim Acker. Oh, uh, Acker. Uh, no, I'm thinking of Daryl Ackerfeld. So I don't know who that is. I remember Jim Acker. He was... One of those guys that would come out of the bullpen and, yeah, 60 games about every year. In 1988, it looks like he was hurt a bit, though, because he only appeared in 21 games. And so that is only going to get you a war of minus 0.3. Uh, he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups, though. So you're going to actually take your first minus of the pack, and it's only minus 0.1. You're at 34.7. 
and that will bring you to catcher for the Boston Red Sox, John Marzano. I swear I had more John Marzano cards than any other player I could ever come across. Not from collecting them. He just, he always showed up. He's in every like. pack. That's, that's the he thing is. they did. Nicknamed Johnny Mars. 10 years in the big leagues. You can't be ashamed of that. Final three with, with the Mariners. 96, 97, and 98. Looks like he was the backup to Dave Valley, probably. Johnny, I don't, I don't recall that. But, uh, I mean, let's see. I'll sound better if I say, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, you're probably not going to like this. In 88, he only appeared in 10 games. <laughs> had an OPS plus of minus 0.6. That equates to a war of minus 0.2, um, but he's got real stirrups on. So he'll take just another minus 0.1. That'll take you to 34.6. And your final card, there are a lot of cards in these packs, is yeah, I guess. another catcher. This one for the Cardinals, Stephen Lake. Oh, Steve Lake, sure. Uh, you're right. Another like lifelong catcher, backup, backup occasionally yeah. would... Would play if someone got hurt kind of guy. Yeah, but you know, there there is a niche in Major League Baseball to, you can have a good career being a backup catcher. Absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely. Just need to, if you can prove you can do that and you can play the position well, absolutely. You don't even really need to hit that well. You just need to be able oh, to really? be a good defensive catcher and know how to, you know, work with the pitching staff. 11 years in the big leagues here for Steve Lake. 1988 appeared in 36 games for the Cardinals, a 108 OPS+. Plus. And that equates to a 0.5 war, and he's got real stirrups. So you're going to get a 0.6 out of that. And that's going to bring your total to 35.2. Wow. That is a very robust total. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Along the big guns today. Yeah. All right. So let's get to mine. There's a lot of cards in these packs. So let's get through these. We'll spend some time on the bigger names, but we got to score was uh, giving you your money's worth in 1988. They're, this is the, 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 I just love this set though. Their first inaugural set. They're nice cars. There was just yeah. a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't, they're not cheap here. Uh, all right. Well, I'm starting out great because I'm starting out with the Hall of Famer and one of our absolute favorites, Rhino, Ryan Sandberg. Oh, uh, legend. Love him. Love him. Ryan Sandberg, defensively, as good as he was offensively, he was pretty darn good offensively. Yeah, Spokane, Washington's own Ryan Sandberg, right. Hall of Famer, MVP, 10-time All-Star, 9-time Gold Glover, and uh, no World Series. But uh, surprisingly enough, was involved in the uh, Ryan Sandberg game. <laughs> was, he sure was. Shocking. Uh, 1988, he was an All-Star. Uh, had an okay year. OPS plus of only 108. Uh, yeah, there's a good deal of black ink here. Not as much as some Hall of Famers. Uh, we don't want to skip by, though, his 1984 season where he led the league with 19 triples because it's just, 19 a, triples all just an oddity that he never had double figures any other year. But it is a 4.7 for Rhino in 1988. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got real stirrups, and he's got flip-down sunglasses. So that is going to start me out at 5.9, which I think Jeez. is just about what you started out with, wasn't it? <laughs> this could be a barn burner. Uh, next is an outfielder for the Bucks. This is a good-looking card because he's got a yellow, or I'm sorry, a gold. Don't, sorry, don't at me, pirate fan, the one that listens. Uh, it's R.J. Reynolds. Uh, R.J. Reynolds, sure, man. I love that guy. You didn't hear about him a lot because he was a pirate. You know, he's Pittsburgh. You hear about him in Pittsburgh, but not in Seattle. Let's see. R.J. came up with the Dodgers, spent four years there, then he went to the Bucks, where he spent the remaining six years of his career in 1988, eh, playing 130 games, OPS plus of 
87, so I'm not expecting a whole lot here. 0.5 war, he's got a mustache and that's all that it's gonna get me. So that's only a plus, plus 0.6 there. That kind of hurts, you, you, you had a couple of, you started out really strong. Uh, also played in Japan for the Yokohama Whales at that point as well, as well as the Kintetsu Buffalo. Buffaloes, excuse me. You know, yeah. Jeff, that might be another uh, uh, measure we can use is if you played in Japan or Korea, we'll give you a point. Yeah, you know, I think maybe we need to we need to get a poll going. We'll, we'll put all these in a poll and maybe we let the listeners decide some of these things. That might be fun. Good idea. All right. All right. Well, my pack is certainly not as strong as, as yours after the first card. Uh, I've got a Mariner from 1988, so that pretty much tells you where we're going here. It is third baseman Jim Presley. Jim Presley was our, uh, he was our star third baseman for years. Yeah, until Edgar came along. That's right. Uh, let's see. Jim Presley doesn't really look like a third baseman to me. Played eight years in the big leagues, six of which were with the Mariners. 1988, appeared in 150 games, had an OPS plus of 74, 14 home runs, 62 RBIs, and that equates to a war of minus 0.8. So, how many errors in 1988? What was his defense like? My goodness, his inning wasn't that bad. 1988, he only committed at third base 22 errors. Okay, I see. (laughs) His uh, total zone rating was a minus eight that year at third base. Ouch. What in the world was he doing over there? Oh, Jim Presley, minus 0.8. He's got real stirrup, so I'll only take a minus 0.7 hit. But Jimbo, not cool, my man. A little rough. Uh, his nickname was Hound Dog, though. Oh, I like that. Well, I don't... I, I get it. I don't... I don't, because his defense sucked. I don't like it. <laughs> but, but it's Elvis Presley. Oh, oh, okay. That's It's not as good as uh, Tacoby Bellsberry, but now that you've explained no, no. it to me, it's good. <laughs> Hound dog, I get it. All right, next we uh, go to the Red Sox, and we go to second baseman Marty Barrett. Marty Grin and Barrett. Oh, nice. All right, let's see. Marty Barrett, uh, let's see. He was in the big leagues for 10 years. Nine of it was with the Red Sox. His final year was with San Diego. In 1988, he was looked like he did okay offensively. A uh, point, well, I'm sorry, not a point, 85 OPS+. plus. He was kind of a jack of all trades. He played second base. I remember he played shortstop a little bit as well. A war of 0.7. He has definitely got real stirrups. I think almost everybody here does, probably except for Jose Canseco. So that'll get me a 0.8 on the positive there and bring me up to 6.6. I think you You're were catching already, up, man. I think you were already in the 20s at this point uh, in <laughs> your pack. But yeah. All right. Next. Oh wow. Well, I've got a second Hall of Famer, and you're gonna there you go. you're gonna love to say his last name. Okay. He's he's a brewer. Are you talking about Robin Yount? <laughs> Robin Yount. Yes, sir. <laughs> the kid. <laughs> uh, Robin Yount, Hall of Famer, multiple MVPs, two MVPs, three-time All-Star, and uh, wow, just a 20-year career, all of which were with the Brewers. Robin appeared in 162 games. He played in oh, every boy. game, led the league in triples, hit 306, had an OPS plus of 132, and that equates to a war of 5.7. Wow. I will take that. I'll tell that. you what, that guy was amazing. He was just a pure athlete. He really was. Yeah, remember he started as an infielder. He was a shortstop. So, yeah, shortstop. Yeah. And then became a center fielder. It's just like, wow, dude. 
Yeah, and the dude could hit. So oh, yeah. 5.7. He has got a mustache, of course. He's wearing two and ones, though. I just said nobody except for Jose was. So that wipes out the mustache money. But I do get the Hall of Fame. So that'll be a plus 6.7, which more than doubles my score up to 13.3. <laughs> All right, next we've got a second baseman for the California Angels at this point, Mark McLemore. You know what's funny is I just saw Mark McLemore two days ago at the stadium. That's kind of weird. Oh, is he doing, uh, what is it, the Rangers? Um, no, I think he's like a, kind of a motivational speaker guy. 1988 was his second full year in the big leagues. OPS plus of 83, and that equates, well, a war of 1.3, not bad. He's got flip-down sunglasses, and he's got real stirrups. So I'll take that. That'll get me a plus 1.5. Uh, that brings me up to 14.8. Oh, it says he currently serves as part of the Texas Rangers broadcast team. Okay, next, I have got a catcher that I do not remember. Okay. With the Royals, yeah, he's got a good mustache, though. Probably not a two-tenths. But it is Larry Owen. Yeah, you got me on that one, too. Well, when you look him up, uh, his Wikipedia comes up before his baseball reference does. So that might tell you something. Spent six years in the big leagues. Only appeared, though, in 171 games. 88 was his last year. Uh, Let's see, an OPS plus of 60. Hit 210. Uh, only appeared, like I said, I think in 37 games. Uh, War of point one. He was, uh, you know, he was average. He's got a mustache, though, so that'll get me a plus point two. Take me up to 15 even. Attended Bowling Green, where he finished with 27 career home runs, breaking a conference record that was held by Mike Schmidt. So he had some, Mike, definitely had you know, some conference. Okay. Pop, in, uh, pop in college. I know Roger McDowell went to Bowling Green as well. All right, next, this guy was in the Wax Pack pack uh we know that he is uh gives uh hitting lessons and so forth third baseman for the toronto blue jays rance mullinix a, a, a classical name too that kind of rolls off the tongue rance mullinix i, I like think it. he leads all major leaguers named rance in career home runs i think you may be right maybe even in triple <laughs> i i dare you to find me a category an offensive or defensive category that he does not lead lead all players that have ever played with the name Rance. No cheating, no going to Lance. <laughs> a good year in 1988. Appeared in 119 games. Hit 300, uh, 870 OPS, a 143 OPS plus. And that equates to a 2.1 war. He's got glasses, he's got a mustache, and he has got real stirrups. So that'll take me up to wow. 2.4 on that one. Mustache, glasses, real stirrups. You know what he is? He's a real ball player. And his name Rance. His name is Rance. In 1984, Sports Illustrated named Rance Mullinex to their dream team as a utility yeah. infielder. There you go, man. He made an impression. Yeah. Was uh, top of the game back then. All right. Next, we have got, here he is with the Red Sox. Of course, I know he spent a, a year with the Athletics. I mainly remember him, though, with the, with the Red Sox. It is, he's listed as a designated hitter. It's Don Baylor. Don Baylor, the master of getting hit by the pitch until I think Craig Biggio came along. Yep, you, I think you are correct. RIP, of course, he died a little while ago in 2017. I remember also he broke his leg on, I think it was like opening day or so. I remember you and I were working at the Mariners when it happened because we came in and we, we talked about it, that he broke his leg while exchanging the lineup card at home that's right. plate. That's right. The, the dangerous, precarious job of exchanging lineup cards. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was strange. A nickname's Groove and the Sneak Thief. 
<laughs> I mean, I look like at this: those. 285 career stolen bases. In wow. 1976, he stole 52 bases. I had no idea. That's amazing. I, I wow, was, he was quick. That's why he was called the sneak thief. Uh, 1988 was his final year in the big leagues, and it was with Oakland. Uh, not a great year. He was wrapping it up at age 39, 88 OPS plus, and that is going to get me a minus 0.3 because he was a DH. Uh, he does have a good mustache, though, so that'll only be a minus 0.2. That will take me down to 17.2. Next, we've got outfielder for the Cardinals. It is John Morris. John Morris, lead singer for the Doors. Wait, no, I'm, I'm really John Morris, here. I think he, isn't he Zach Morris's father? <laughs> I, think, I think we're both incorrect here. You might want to look it up. No. Oh, we're doing baseball today. That's right. That's probably John, yeah, yeah. John Morris in 1988 only appeared in 20 games. I hit 289, though, uh, with a uh, 100 even OPS plus. So he was right at that replacement level. His war was a minus 0.3, though. He's got real stirrups. He's got a double flap ear helmet, but there's nothing there. So that, again, is going to be a minus 0.2. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, we've talked about this guy because we both like him. His name is Ernest, but I always call him Ernie Riles. Yeah, I remember him as Ernie Riles as well. Remember, he's one of those few players that was on both the A's and the Giants. Uh, let's uh -huh, see, in okay. 1988, he was with the Giants. Uh, let's see, he played everywhere on the infield. Well, not everywhere. He didn't play at first, but he played games at third, second, and short. He still hit 284, had an OPS plus of 111, and that equals a 2.2 war. He's got a mustache, and he's got real stirrups. That'll get me a plus 2.4. I think they're starting to uh, line the clubhouse, your clubhouse, with plastic, because I've only Whoa. got a couple of, well, I got more than a couple. I got... What six cards left, but I am Four trailing 104 cards in each pack yeah, or something no, ridiculous. Yeah, you've got a 35.2, I'm at 19.2, so we'll try to it's hit not these. impossible. No, but we'll try to hit these up quick, uh, quickly. But my next card is Mark Clear, so I don't think that's going to help me a whole lot. Mark Clear, Mark Clear wow, that does not ring a bell for me here with the Brewers. Uh, he pitched for 11 years in the big leagues, uh, really? the Angels the Brewers, and the Red Sox. 1988, he appeared in 25 games. Uh, went 1-0, uh, 2.79 ERA, a 144 ERA plus. I'm not sure he was in enough to make it worth that much. A war of 0.3, he's got real stirrups, so that'll be 0.4. That'll take me up to 19.6. All right, my next card is, this guy was speedy outfielder. This is a good-looking card. He's crouched down in the outfield ready to spring at anything that comes his way. Gary Reedus. Reedus was a quick dude, wasn't he? I remember that. Uh, so Gary Reedus uh, played a lot, played in 13 years in the big leagues, five with the Bucks, four with the Reds, two with the Rangers, two with the White Sox like he is here, and one in Philadelphia. 1988, he split time between the White Sox and the Pirates. Not a bad year, a 104 OPS plus combined. And all of that equates to a 1.5 war. Uh, he does have real stirrups on here, so that'll be a plus 1.6. That'll take me up to 21.2. All right, now we've got one of my favorite players coming up here. I just learned this fact about him that uh, the Phillies thought so highly of him that they moved Mike Schmidt to first base in order to make room for my guy, Rick Shue. Really big shoe. Rick, really big shoe. It, coincidentally here, Rick Shue is playing first base. So, <laughs> okay. 
1988, uh, actually played in Baltimore the whole year. Had a Rick Shoe-like year, a little bit below 100 in OPS plus, 93 OPS plus. That equates to a war of minus 0.3. Thanks a lot, Rick. Uh, he does have a mustache, so that'll only be a minus 0.2. Let's see, Rick Shu, of course, uh, we've talked about this before, I think played in Japan. He played for the uh, Nippon Ham Fighters, your favorite team, for two years. My favorite team. Boy, I do not like their, they have got the worst jerseys in all of baseball, I think. I, the I the Nippon not, Ham Fighters? Yeah, I do not like them. They're, they're like gold and dark blue or black. It's just, it's not a good look. I'm not a fan. All right. Like I said, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull this one out. Next, we've got DH for the Twins, Roy Smalley. Roy Smalley. Boy, that sounds familiar, but I can't really place him. Uh, not to be confused with the, gosh darn it, I'm good enough and people like me, Roy Smalley. Here's Stuart Smiley, Smiley, yes. Stuart Smiley, something like that. <laughs> Roy Smiley. I can't even say his name anymore. Not Guy Smiley. Roy Smalley was a member of the uh, Twins in 1987 when they won the World Series. He is actually the nephew of Gene Mock and the son okay. of Roy Smalley. So okay. some baseball lineage. It didn't appear in 1988, though. 87 was his last year in the bigs, so I'm going to get a tenth of a point for some stirrups, but that is it. Uh-oh. I don't have a speech prepared or anything, so we'll just run out onto the field. and. Well, I still have two cards me. left. Just... Hold on. I mean, oh, I this... thought you said that was it. No, I still got, no. Still got two more. Well, All you right. better have Babe Ruth in 27 on one of those cards. <laughs> well, uh, here's an Oakland A's pitcher that's got real stirrups, and he's got glasses, and he was traded twice for Ricky Henderson, if that's worth anything. It's Eric Kerplunk. Yeah, Eric Plunk uh, definitely has some glasses on in that, I bet. Yep, definitely does. Uh, we've talked about Eric Plunk many times before because we pull him all the time, and uh, I like to mention the Ricky Henderson fact. In 1988 yes. in Oakland, he went 7-2 and two with a three-point ERA out of the bullpen in 49 games. That equates to a 128 ERA plus and a war of 1.3 plus the glasses and the stirrups give me a 1.5. And that will take me to 22.6. And we get to my final card, which is a rookie card, but it is Sean Abner Doubleday. Sean Abner, yes. Um, number one pick for the Mets or something, wasn't he? Let's see, Sean Abner, right on. Number one pick in the first round overall by the New York Mets in 1984. He came up with the Padres, though, and in 1988, he only appeared in 37 games, hit a robust 181. Uh, you know, Jared Kel Kelnick would probably kill to hit that at this point. Uh, an OPS plus of 48, and all that equates to a war of minus point. Eight. He has got real stirrups, but that's about it. I'm going to take a hit for 0.7, and that will end up with a 21.9. And ladies and gentlemen, your two-time defending Wax Packs Hero Championship. Mark, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's definitely all skill, and I'm just really, really good at it. <laughs> You're good at picking the left or the right pack. That's it. That's the only thing you do in this game other than insult uh, one another or uh, the players. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Another, that was a long one. Right, those scores, yeah. man, they have a lot of, a lot of cards. In there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations. That'll wrap up another episode of wax packs heroes. Also going to put the nail in the coffin of this show. Number one nineteen of two strike noise. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so throughout the week. We are at two strike noise on both Twitter and Instagram. 
Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, all of these things are in the show notes every now and then we'll pop up on Twitch. Mark, you want to tell them about our email address that we have. Just to spell out two strike noise at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody. I've been getting lots of emails. It's really fun to talk to all of you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this show. And uh, we hope to see you back again next week. We will be here on another episode of two strike noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.